This is Food First Michigan on 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. The tipping point is that magic moment when an idea, trend, or social behavior crosses a threshold, tips, and then spreads like wildfire. It is similar to the idea we've discussed on the show for years that momentum is your best friend or your worst enemy. Seven years ago, we started this radio show slash podcast for the purpose of changing the conversation about food insecurity across Michigan. We've done that. But more recently, we've shared we wanted to create a movement in order to create a groundswell of people with the strong personal will so we can have enough political determination to address hunger in our state in a robust way. In reading about movements, I've discovered a few things, and today I want our resident thought leader, who has great perspective on our history, how far we've come or haven't, to walk with me through this work and discuss some of the major tipping points he has seen and experienced in this work. We will address the opportunities we are seizing currently and perhaps what we have to do to create the movement large enough to create a food secure state. I believe we could be close to a tipping point where the greatness of the idea tips forward and enough positive momentum is created. I believe the stars are aligning, the energy is building, and if we are dutiful, smart, and articulate, we can grow into a movement that says enough is enough of children going to bed hungry, of seniors pretending they have enough food, and working families having to make impossible choices between food, housing, medicine, and transportation. The tipping point for a food-secure Michigan could be closer than we think. That's next on this edition of Food First Michigan. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson in the WJR studio here. Jerry, great to see you in your Food Bank Council of Michigan swag. Yeah, I had to wear it. it it's it's what we got at our fi- at our final board meeting of the year in 2023. I still can't believe it's 2024, but uh, but I thought, well, I'm going to wear it down to the studio today just so you can see the fruits of your uh, labors there, Doctor. But I, I think it looks pretty good. I mean, you know, the shirt looks better than the guy wearing it. I don't, I don't know. It looks pretty good on you. I love the color. And uh, shout out to Katie DeBow, our board liaison at the Food Bank Council, who takes care of you guys. Yeah, she does a great job. So this uh, monologue is about was based on a book by Malcolm Gladwell, The Tipping Point which is actually his first book. And uh, if you haven't read that, I encourage you to read it. Uh, thank you, Malcolm. You're welcome, Malcolm, for the shout out. Um, it is really about how do we create, um, uh, how trends start, how uh, momentum is created. Now, Malcolm says in the book that it's, it, it, it's, starts like a virus. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I would like a little better analogy than that, but 
uh, nonetheless, it, it is contagious. Little causes have big effects, and change can happen in a single moment. And I, I like all three of those characteristics, and I think that's something that we have said on the show that we really want to create as a result of this show, seven years in. We wanted to change the conversation, but we really want to create enough groundswell that we can address hunger in a very, very robust way across the state. Love that idea. And in fact, the you know, viruses are kind of a negative thought, right? We don't think of viruses right. as something very good. But there is some truth to the viral nature of a movement, right? Yeah. And and when you think about what a virus does, a virus a virus hangs around until it finds an environment it can thrive in. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden That's it awesome. goes, "Whoa, <laughs> this is going to work for me." You know what I mean? And so uh so I don't think of food banking as a sickness, but I certainly think of food banking as in the environment of the late 60s and early 70s, if you will, the virus of food banking was ripe. It was a. It was an environment where food banking could take off, and so that's a really interesting idea. So yeah. So I, I guess some people might think of you and I as a virus, but <laughs> <laughs> we've been hanging around for seven years doing this show. But nonetheless, back to that time frame you just mentioned, there was a couple of things that happened that really created that environment, so that food banking could be born and thrive. So, you know, everything almost has to start with faith-based institutions, even before we get to the 1950s, which we're going to get to in a minute. Um, The idea that serving people in need is something we ought to be doing is a fundamental culture that that makes food banking possible. You you really don't have food banking. And if you well, anyway, you really don't have food banking if you don't have the idea that we ought to help people who are less fortunate. You you just don't, right? So you have this idea that's that's you know, you see a lot of things emanating from that. But you also see in the 1950s two specific things around food in the United States. The first one is in the mid-1950s, there's, it's the first time that there's more tractors than horses and mules on farms. Hmm. So the ability for farms to be productive from a technological standpoint skyrockets. Right. The second thing that happens is ammonia-based fertilizer, where the, the yield per acre skyrockets. So you have the technology to process the food, if you will, to, to plant it, to harvest it, to, to do all those things quickly, as well as the capacity of each acre rapidly increasing to the point where the food supply chain can't absorb it all. Hmm. It can't. There, there's, there's not enough stores. There's not enough anything. There, there's all this food that's being grown, and there's nowhere for it to go. So, so that creates... A huge amount of waste, huge amount of waste in the food supply chain. Food banking starts with people who are mad about it and Mm. say, how could we be throwing all this food away? And literally we were. I mean, barges of food were being dumped in the ocean. 
Because there was just nothing else to do. The food doesn't last forever. We got to dispose of it, this problem of waste. And people were mad about it. They were mad about it. Who These people were angry, idealistic, passionate, and faith-filled. And they said, we do not have to tolerate food waste when there's hungry people. It makes no sense. And so the virus of food banking starts, right? It starts first from a culture that says helping, you know, people less fortunate is important. And now we have the capacity to do something based on the technological and chemical changes that create all this food surplus, that then create waste, that then create <laughs> a bunch of uh, crusaders, shall we say, mm-hmm. who who won't let the difficulty of the logistics get in their way. And so, you know, I th- I kind of think of that time in the in the '60s and '70s as the mad scramble. Mm-hmm. Everything was grassroots. Nobody knew exactly what they were doing. Food safety, I don't think, showed up for five years because it just wasn't a thought. It was like, get that food, get that food. Someone over there is distributing it. Call the Salvation Army. Call the Archdiocese. You know, we got food. We, I mean, and so it was kind of the mad scramble. Right. So so I, I heard four things there, I think. Let me see if I can remember them. One is the... the the faith base. And we've said on the show in, in times past that when you consider every every sect or branch of Christianity, uh, uh, Islam, and, uh, and Judaism, you cover a lot of the religious population of the world, and all of them are commanded to serve the poor. Yep. So you got a, a vast amount of humanity in your ranks right there, right? And then comes the invention of the industrialization, if you will, of agriculture with more tractors than horses and mules, ammonia-based fertilizer. And then your fourth thing, I don't think I've really heard you talk about as well as you did right there, as eloquently as you did right there, which was the driving force, a tipping point, so to speak, of food waste, and so here comes these faith-filled entrepreneurs that are aggravated, mad at the situation, and they don't care how hard the work is. That's true. I they think just that's invented a, it. I think that is. I think that is fundamentally what happened in food banking. You know, it's you know, and if you look at the founders of these food banks across the country, and I mean, it was happening everywhere. It was popping up all over the place. Um, they have those things in common. Right. Well, next, Jerry, I want us to talk about in the in the next segment some of the innovations that have happened since that time. Some of the things that have have, have created tipping points that that pushed the work forward or made it uh, greater or more impactful. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight, and we're back with the tipping points of food banking here on WJR. Contact the Food Bank Council of Michigan at fbcmich.org. Now back to more Food First Michigan with Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome back, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here on Food First Michigan, and we're talking about Malcolm Gladwell's principle, the tipping points. And Jerry, you did a great job, I think, of of laying out for, um, you put the cookies on the right shelf so that I could understand some of the basic 
development or tipping points that happened to bring about food banking and why it's thrived um, from its origins. But but moving forward, there's been some things that have happened in our history back then and and even more recently that gives us hope about this work and what it can do and mean for people who are struggling with access to the food they want and need. So I think one big piece of good news for for creating a food secure community is that food banks have the capacity to distribute more food now than ever and it's significantly more capacity it's more than double the capacity of what we were 10 years ago hmm. so so you say okay well how did and, and so is that part of a tipping point i think it is because you can't really funnel more food into a system where there's no capacity to do it well, it was the same thing you talked about in the last segment when we were growing all this additional food, but there was no infrastructure to support the distribution. There wasn't enough stores, not enough, you know, uh, drivers and trucks and, and all the things it takes to get the food moved. Here, within 10 years ago, you're saying our capacity has grown significantly. And I'll just remind everybody that about average Food banks in America are about one generation old, right. 40 years. Yeah. So you're talking about a fourth of our history where we've really increased our our ability to distribute more food. Well, and here's what I think builds that tipping point, right? So you start this whole idea which in a, in a phase which I kind of call the mad scramble. Right. You, nobody knows what to do. They just know there's all this food going to waste. They don't know what to do, and they start to talk together and figure out the logistics of food banking. What becomes the core of the work in terms of food safety and capacity to move lots of food to lots of different places so that you have a community infrastructure that can do the work? That's the mad scramble. Right. There's less emphasis on policy and more emphasis on how the heck do we get this done. Very operational. Totally right. And, and you know, it's the fog of war, right? What do we say? <laughs> In the land of the blind, the one-eyed man is king. Right. 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 So, so it was the land of the blind, and you had a lot of one-eyers going, okay, how about <laughs> if we try this? But eventually you get professional, right? Eventually you move from that mad scramble to professionalism. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, uh, America's Second Harvest is created, which is now Feeding America, the National Food Bank, as a place to share ideas and as a place to create national policies and practices that help food banks do a better job. They get beyond the mad scramble and into this is how a professional food bank needs to operate. That's a big step. And again, when I think about tipping points, I don't believe food banking could get further without that really important step of moving from the mad scramble to what does a professional food bank really have to look like? So I I think that's a big part of what's enabling what I think is what you said, the tipping point for the next big success. Wow, that's that's pretty, well, that's insightful because I, um, I happen to agree with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, always easier to see it that way yeah, when you agree. So, yeah, I, I think that's true. So when I came into the network uh, some nine years ago, I could see some of the shift happening. There were these entrepreneurs who started their food banks, and they were they were retiring. They were phasing out, so to speak. And, you know, consequently, what made them great in the beginning was also hindering the work 
at the present. So they were very competitive, which you had to be to start something like this. They were very territorial. You can't come into my area. I'm not coming into yours. There was all that going on. And, and it was not the idea that we have that we're not going to get this done alone. And so it's given the opportunity for a different kind of leader to come in to sit in these chairs that lead the food banks, the 208 food banks in the Feeding America Network nationwide. Well, and when you're the one-eyed man who's king, it's hard to give up your throne. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to hear somebody say, hey, maybe you can't see everything the way you think. So, you know, but that's going to be part of the dynamic always, right, is what do you do with with the successfully ignorant? I mean, it's a hard thing, right? right? But there are, there are, you know, a certain amount of ignorance created a certain amount of success. You know, if you don't know the trouble ahead, you just forge ahead anyway. <laughs> well, I think that group was extremely entrepreneurial, had to be. And determined. Yeah. And again, as the work <clears throat> developed and changed and innovations were coming, uh, it was difficult for them to leave those characteristics behind and, and adjust and adapt. So most of them have now just kind of phased out. They've gotten old enough that they've retired and there's a, there's a new leadership now in place. Uh, that is less like that and more collaborative, but probably not as collaborative as we need to be in order to really get to the next, to next, uh, to complete the mission, so to speak. So that's a very huge tipping point. Well, and innovation requires humility, right? You can't be innovative if you aren't humble, because if you don't, if you think you got it all. You're not going to get the next thing. So, so you know, I, I think it is true that our ability to really be honest and self-reflective, and it comes with professionalism, but it also comes with putting the community first. And I will say uh, that is one of the things that's moving the tipping point further is our deeper understanding of community and impact. Um, but I've got a few more that come before that. Okay. Do we got time for one this segment? You got, you got time for one more right here. Okay. So the next... But be succinct. Yeah, well, good luck. <laughs> Everybody hang on. We're going to try. There could be a, a, you know, an explosion of some kind in the, in the studio. So the next thing is crisis. Crisis creates a tipping point. And when we think of the Great Recession and we think of the pandemic, both of those crises forced growth on food banking. It wasn't something anybody chose. You had to do it. You had to do it. And there was nobody else to do it. And again, when you think about reaching new thresholds, what you have to learn in a crisis can drive innovation more than any other single thing. Mm -hmm. And so I will say, this is where the virus, again, uh, analogy really works for me, is when your body goes into crisis and starts to has to fight that thing, you get stronger. You know? I mean, theoretically. It's, it's, it's right. okay, you'll, you'll do better with that virus the next time, right? And so the systems that were built to serve the community were pushed beyond any rational thought about what they could be by crisis. And that taught us a lot. And we're still learning from those things. How do we really be our best in our core work? And I think that does add to what makes the next tipping point. Hmm. 
Excellent. I, I, you know, we've been doing this show for seven years together, uh, working together for nine, and I don't think I've really ever heard you glean, share that out like that before. I got to keep something back, Doctor, otherwise you're going to cancel the show. Well, you know, people <laughs> ask us all the time, you've been doing this show every week for seven years, don't you run out of things to talk about? I'm like, no, Jerry never runs out of things to talk about. So... We're going to keep talking on the other side of this break. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. Thanks for listening, folks. We'll be right back. Food first, Michigan. Once again, here's Phil and Jerry. Thanks for listening, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here in our WJR studio. So, Jerry, we're talking about the virus. <laughs> <laughs> right. People are like, what? Food banking uh, as a virus. Is a food banking. <laughs> food banking uh, as a virus. The contagiousness, the, the momentum that we're trying to create so that we get a tipping point that, that change can really happen in a moment. And we have so many. I, know, I don't know where you're going with this on, on your side of the microphone, but where I'm Letting at, out our secret. You're letting out our secret. <laughs> yeah, right. It's... Is is uh, is is policy change in my in in my area of responsibility? This work could happen in a moment. We have great programs that were started in the the early years, back in the right around the time food banking, the 1950s, 60s, and 70s, that really haven't been updated since then. And and so I'm looking for that tipping point for how do we update some of the programs that the federal government uses to make them more efficient, serve people better. And, you know, how do we create that momentum, that contagiousness to create a tipping point? And so I'm looking forward to that. So, but I'm going to throw this to you because you are the resident historian. Um, and what's next? So we started with the mad scramble. We went to professionalism. We had crises, all those things, pushing growth and excellence. You got to right. have, you got those two things go together. Uh, the next thing is one of the hardest, and and it involves the the value of navel gazing. And what I'm going to talk about here is ideological debate. Who are we? The existential crisis of of who we are, right? And you have to go through that to get to the tipping point. You have got to look internally. You've got to look at your own waste. You've got to look at the ideas that didn't come to fruition that the way you thought they would. You, you have to look at how are you spending your time and energy, and food banks are doing that and coming up with all kinds of different answers and things to argue about, and, and there's people approaching it from the left and the right and a few from the center, and, you know, there's this ideological debate happening. What should food banks really be doing, and how do we do that better together? It is a huge conversation, but it's a very important conversation that I hope will push us to the next level of understanding and a new paradigm for how we talk about the work because I think that will get us to a tipping point. So I'm going to tease a little bit about that, right? If everyone does whatever they want and there's no rhyme or reason to it and there's no clear definition of success, you can build a lot of capacity to move a lot of food. 
but you're not really going to solve the problem of food insecurity that way. At some point, you have to be able to lay out, here's what works and here's what doesn't work as well. And it has to be quantified and measured. You have to have impact models that help you really deeply understand the difference you make in people's lives through what you're doing. None of that was being done before. None. None. Right? Right. But we know that if we're going to get to a tipping point, we have to have some answers fundamentally to the question, how does this make a difference for people? And specifically say how it empowers people to be their best selves. That's the new paradigm that we need to be invested in, right? So, so we've learned a lot from what we've done in the past. But to grow into a place where there's a movement big enough to pull us forward, we have got to be able to answer some really fundamental questions about what difference does this make? And we can do it. We've talked a lot about the difference this work makes on this radio station. And you're our listeners, so you're probably thinking, I can't believe people just don't listen to you guys. I mean, we think that, too. <laughs> true, true. So, I, yeah, so I've heard you consistently say since I met you, until food banks understand their impact, we're really not going to be able to create the solutions that need to be created in order to address the problem in a holistic manner. I think you've been remarkably consistent about that messaging. And you've built a model and you have built uh, an infrastructure to support that model so that you can understand and measure it, right? And so I applaud you for that and kind of being the tip of the spear in this conversation, but also putting investing money and people and time and professionals in order to help you uh, do the work in this manner. So I, I think that this is something that is, is happening in different spots across the country. I don't think it's, it's happening collectively yet. We're not at that tipping point. But I think it's coming. I want it to come. I wish you'd hurry up and get here. But the thing about we we say this about, and you're kind of going against this idea. We've had it this whole entre entrepreneurial, you know, the the roots of our existence has been. Well, if you've seen one food bank, you've seen one food bank. And what you're saying is, in certain aspects of this work, if you've seen one food bank, you've seen every food bank. And that did happen in that stage of professionalism where food banks didn't do whatever they thought was best for food safety. There were standards developed that said, this is what food safety has to look like, right? right. There were standards developed for how much it costs to, to, to distribute a pound of food, right? There were standards and benchmarks developed around fundraising and other things that helped us understand what good performance looks like, right? So, so the idea that when you've seen one food bank, you've, you've seen one food bank has been diluted pretty steadily to, well, there, there are standards that food banks live by. And the new charter that we just all agreed to is part of changing that paradigm from 
everyone's their own sort of, you know, wild, wild west idea of any idea is a good idea, just do your best to, well, no, if we really want to end hunger, if we really want to create food security, there are probably standards for this that we need to think about. Think about nutrition and how it's entering our conversation. Ten years ago, hardly anybody talked about nutrition, and now we all see the value of how does chronic disease increase food insecurity and how food is part of the mismanagement of chronic disease, right? Mm. It, it, it's, we, we know that's part of what we have to address in food banking because we're in the business of food as medicine, and that whole conversation is developing paradigm shifts around how we need to think about the, the food that people want and need, right? So essentially, Jerry, what you're describing to me is, um, well, I, I don't know the scientific term for this, but we're, we're essentially altering our DNA. Yeah. Because when these entrepreneurs started food banking, they had some principles that they lived by, which what one was, any calorie solves hunger. Right. Potato right. chips or carrots. It doesn't matter. Yep. So whatever food came in is what the food that went out. And now you're saying in a lot of different areas of food banking, we're having the right conversations to say, well, wait a minute. What does it mean to the people we serve? That's the difference. That's the paradigm shift. What is how does what we do make a difference? And some of what we do makes a difference in ways maybe we shouldn't be so proud of. At the same time, we have to respect the dignity of people who want potato chips. It's, you know what I mean? It's, there's this balancing act, but that conflict, that ideological conflict is really important because it forces us to better define what is the impact that we want to make, how, what is our relationship with the people we serve, and how do we maximize both of those things to, the, to create the best community possible. So, so that's, I do believe that forces different partnerships. It gets us in with healthcare. It gets us in with education in different ways. It, it broadens the people that need to be part of the conversation and broadening the, the number of people is what a movement looks like. Right. I love it. I love it. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight, we're back for another segment with you. You come back and be with us. Welcome, everyone. Thanks for being with us. I love this show, Jerry. I, I love the book by Malcolm Gladwell, The Tipping Point. And it's, um, it's meant a lot to me in these recent weeks because, you know, we all of us experienced some setbacks, difficulties, and, you know, uh, criticism. And leadership, that's what leadership is, right? I mean, it is the cross of leadership is criticism. And, you know, and if you're, if you're not out front, <laughs> you're really not leading. And I really think that, that this show and a lot of the work that's being accomplished in Michigan is helping the entire nation um, in our effort to create a food secure, not a community, not a state, but a food secure country. So one of the sayings that really resonates with me of late is if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Who said that? 
Uh, I didn't, but you heard it from me. That's probably right. That's probably right. <laughs> I mean, I didn't make it up, but I did say it to you. And maybe Rob Fowler said it at some no, point. No, I too. don't think he's that. He smart. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but there's a cost, right? So, so when you go alone too far, it's the story of Icarus, right? Fly your way up to the sun until it melts the wax on your wings and you go crashing to the earth. I mean, you know, going alone is, is, all about you know you you it, it, it's it's just a burnout process right so you have to go together going together requires a certain humility it requires a certain admitting that you don't have all the answers it it requires a space for people at the table that you might disagree with significantly and to really listen to them and and I talk about you have to have curiosity, you have to have a sense of wonder and a sense of awe. When you deal with other people, you've got to, you've got to wonder and, and to hear them talk about their experience and what got them to where they are. It's got to come from a sense of, wow, what they grew up learning and what they've decided to do is so different from what I grew up learning and, and what I've decided to do. But somewhere in there, there has to be dignity. There has to be some acknowledgement of that person's life experience, whoever it is, right? So when we start talking with healthcare, the people that get into that work have a story. They have a story that brought them to that point, that, that told them that their energy ought to be spent in this space. And maybe some of that energy is financial. Maybe some of that energy is that's what their parents did and that's what they think they should do. Maybe some of that energy is is built in a faith in institutions more than a faith in individuals. We don't know all of the stories that make up the people that enter that space. Mm -hmm. But as we get closer to people in that space, our opportunity is to absorb that information without judgment to develop ideas that we wouldn't have if it weren't for the people in that space who have the values and the commitments and the the you know desire if you will right. to be in that space. And so this isn't a Pollyanna thing. This isn't about you know singing kumbaya around the campfire, right? right. There has to be an element of criticism and an element of, you know, critique and and accountability, but nonetheless the first part of growing a movement has got to be humbly accepting you don't have all the answers. Well, we talked about the cross of leadership as criticism, and and I think, you know, that is what makes us better. But you have to be willing to endure it. If you're, if you're not going to subject yourself or, yeah. or uh, open yourself up to it, um, then you won't you won't receive the value of it if you're not emotionally secure enough as a person as a leader then you won't and we talked off air um about andy fisher's book big hunger that criticizes much of what happens in food banking and i said eight years ago when i first read that book i i didn't agree with it and now when i reread it i agree with it more than i did then now i don't agree with all of it by any stretch but I, I think you have to be able to grow to the place where you can hear what other people are saying. They don't think you're doing well or right. And then learn from that and grow. So this comes back to the purpose of the show. At the end of the day, Food First is about bringing people into the conversation who are invested in it from different points of view 
so that we can learn from those points of view and grow the movement to include people that can influence the potential impact that we can have to create a food secure state. And so here we are, right? The, the we're, we're, We are getting to a different tipping point. We can't we can't say it would be really nice to be able to say it's going to happen on June 15th. We can't do that. But we can certainly say that there's more people talking about the value of this work and in new and different ways than there was seven years ago, than there was five years ago, than there was three years ago, than there was last year. And there will be more people this year coming up as we continue to engage people in our community who have wisdom and experience and influence to make this state a food secure state. Excellent thoughts, Jerry. Thank you for all the tipping points that you shared with us. And now it's time for a little food for thought. Do you know about the revival of hush puppies? They were all that in the 1970s as far as a fashion footwear goes, but then they kind of died out. But in the mid 90s, some kids started wearing them in New York City to their clubs buying them used in the resale shops, and suddenly you couldn't find them anywhere. A couple of major players in the fashion industry included them in their shows, and suddenly hush puppies were the talk of the town, and the company started getting orders from all over. Hush puppies were back and bigger than ever, all because some kids liked them, started wearing them, and found themselves to be influencers. Each of us have a measure of influence that comes with our one handful of life. What if we used a bit of it to say, hunger is no longer tolerable? It's done. We finally proved to ourselves that hunger is not bigger than we are, better than we are, and it isn't beyond us to solve. To do so, we need to put a pair of hushed puppies on, so to speak, and keep food first, folks. Food First. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food secure state.